and welcome to Reptory Screenings, episode 53. I'm your host, Adam, and with me, our regular co-host, Jackson. Movies! And Destiny. Movies! Uh, we're recording slightly differently. Jackson's using OBS because uh, Destiny's computer just doesn't want to record uh, through Audacity. And maybe you've looked at computers lately, can't get a computer. Hard to find, way too expensive. We don't have the money. I'm just started working again. We can't afford a computer right now. So the, we, we can maybe adjust how we do this, but this is going to be it, at least for to this week. Yeah, I'm like live recording into OBS. That is to say, if the levels change mid-podcast, that's because I noticed that one of us is peaking. And one, like, this is, this is a new way of doing this in a setup that we had to make in three minutes because uh, we have another podcast in an hour. So fuck yes. it. We'll do it live. Yeah, this one's rough. <laughs> it's rough. It's fine. It's a free podcast. Um, you haven't watched any movies, Jackson. I already know this because we recorded five minutes earlier. <laughs> Destiny go i watched the taking of pelham 123 um yeah. it's from the 70s it was directed by joseph Sargent. it's from 1974 starring Mo- martin balsam and walter Matthau. and it's about these criminals all named after colors those are their code names i i'd never seen anything like that before uh who <laughs> take over a New York City subway car and they hold it up for an, a million a one million dollar ransom and Walter Matthau has to uh negotiate with these criminals and oh it's so good I don't even you just have to watch it because it's like the epitome of awesome 70s New York City movies did you see the note that uh they weren't allowed to have graffiti in the movie <laughs> because of no, New York that's hilarious. No, I, I didn't read the uh, Wikipedia, but uh, I super love this. I might even watch the remake. I know I, I hear it's not as good, but I'm very curious as to what updates they made to the story. Destiny, you saw the movies. I did. Um, let me think of some. I'm having a brain fart, if you'll help me remember. You watched, uh, well, one, all the other movies I, you watched with me that I have listed here, but you watched Batman Returns, which I can't talk about because it's for another podcast. Oh, Batman Returns still holds up. It's a really weird movie, considering it's a sequel to, like, a huge superhero movie, and it's just fucking Tim Burton as shit. Uh, yeah. It's, it's like a circus. I don't know. It's just a goth circus movie. I don't know. <laughs> It's very weird for a Batman movie. Michelle Pfeiffer is great in it. Yeah. Yeah, I was everyone acts shit of it. Except for um except for uh well, I can't think of his name now. Christopher Walken? Yes, who is just hamming it up. Very yeah. like not the not the best. And w- this was the first Christopher Walken movie I'd seen as a kid, so it's like the it's like what I think of when I think Christopher Walken, and it's just not a very good like performance. <laughs> That's interesting. That's yeah. a wild pull for like your main Christopher Walken movie. I mean, it came out when I was like eight, right? Like I didn't watch a Christopher Walken movie before that. I get no, I absolutely understand how it's happened, but it is still very funny. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, oh, we also watched two Clint Eastwood films. Uh, one. One. Oh, one. okay. We watched. Uh, what's that movie called? <laughs> we watched a fistful of dollars. Thank you. Good lordy. I really enjoyed this. Which is the 64 Sergio Leone movie uh, that is just a very unapproved remake of Yojimbo in the part where Toho sued them and won. Uh. Wait, really? (laughs) 
Yes. Amazing. Yeah. It is it is straight up Yojimbo. It's you yep. know, it's Yojimbo in uh the Spanish uh, middle of, it's not the middle of nowhere because you can see because they shoot in Spain, because the only shoots in Spain, it's like this is the desert, the American Southwest. And in the far background, you'll just see a fucking Spanish castle, like on a hill, and like it's like green. Like over that way, it's green and like beautiful. It's like Spanish olive fields or whatever they grow in Spain. I don't know, but like here, it, it's fake American <laughs> Southwest because they don't give a shit. Incredible, it's incredible. It's like there's um, yeah. uh. Those interviews with Kurosawa where he's talking about, like, how did you know the perfect framing in Seven Samurai? And his answer is like, well, uh, if I moved it to the left, you'd have seen the airport. Uh, yes. And if I moved it to the right, you'd have seen the skyscrapers. So I put it there. Because <laughs> that's what making a movie is. Sergio Leone doesn't give a fuck about that. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, Funny. Yeah. But yeah, I I I'd seen this before, but me and Dustin go through these, and uh, this one's good. It's no Yojimbo because it's fucking Yojimbo. But Yojimbo, <laughs> yeah, um, it's good. Eastwood's really fun in it. It's like it his first like role. He was coming off of TV, and he was like, "I don't want to play a white hat cowboy in a TV show anymore." Uh, and so he plays the main guy in this. You know, very like morally gray, uh, like. You know, not quite an anti-hero, but he's a guy who just keeps his own devices and, uh... Oh, you mean, like, in Yojimbo? <laughs> yeah, like, in Yojimbo. <laughs> kind of a goof who plays everyone against each other. Yeah. Yeah. They do the scene where he's, uh, like, on top of the... Like, how do they do the scene where he's, uh, like, on top of the thing in, in, in Fistful of Dollars? On top of the thing. There's a scene in Yojimbo where they looks like they're gonna have a fight, but then the, like, guy shows up. And they, they doesn't it doesn't come to blows early on in the movie, but you you know, uh Mifune's on like a perch. Like he's climbed up somewhere and he's watching it. It's a scene I remember from Yojimbo. This is a real scene in uh, Yojimbo. Yeah, I just think I just think he's on the second floor of the like saloon that he's in. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, they don't do anything special. I mean I you you should watch you should watch Fistful of Dollars. I will. Apparently you have your Jimbo clear in your head and report back next time. <laughs> I do not have your Jimbo clear in my head. I remember this one scene. I remember him going in the barrels. Yeah, there's something <laughs> like the barrels. Amazing. Yeah, there is a barrel scene, yeah. What else did we watch? Why am I having such a hard time remembering? Uh, we also watched After Hours, the Scorsese film. Uh, from oh, 1985. Yeah. <laughs> After Hours is fabulous. Another great look at New York City in the 1980s. That movie has uh, Catherine O'Hara and Rosanna Arquette. Um, yep, Terry Gar. Cheech and Chong. Yep. Uh, the main guy is the guy from An American Werewolf in London. The friend, not the main guy, but the friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of his name, but Griffin Dunn. Griffin Dunn, and he has this just crazy night in New York City where nothing goes right. Yeah, and it's he's great. also a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just like he's like a. It opens with him. He's like a finance guy or whatever, and he's just like talking to this other guy. Like they're working on a computer. They're just like entering things into a database or whatever. And the guy's like, you know, I don't want to be doing this my whole life. And he just drawing this guy out, rolling his eyes, like, yeah, of course, buddy. And then that night, he ends up on this ridiculous escapade through New York City, just trying to like hook up with this woman he met in a diner. Um, that turns into a bunch of misadventures about. You know, if you're out in a city late at night, everything feels possible, but also you don't want any of that action. It doesn't matter what it is. You don't want it. It's so bad. True. 
<laughs> and it's just yeah. a movie about that in a way that's like funny and weird and good. This is one of my favorite Scorsese films. It's like this, uh, it's Bringing Out the Dead, and it's uh, The King of Comedy, which we already watched for this podcast. Um, love them. This Incredible is what, films. This is what it means. When <laughs> yes, this is what you mean when you're like, I don't, I don't care about the crime movies. Yes, I think Scorsese makes really good comedies, <laughs> but he does. They are very funny. Yeah, um, yeah I, I'd seen this before and loved it, um, but it'd been a while, and it was it's on Criterion, so uh, we watched it. It was great. Um, we also watched Halloween Two, the Rob Zombie film. Um, from 2007, which I saw when it hit theaters and hadn't seen since. I remember not liking this movie. And honestly, I can't tell you why other than like, I thought that it was too Rob Zombie-y, but I think that's fine now. I don't know. Um, this is about the aftermath of the original, you know, the remake of Halloween, um, which is, you know, follows pretty closely the uh, plot of the original John Carpenter film, whatever, you know, Laurie Strode kills Mike Myers, blah, blah, blah. But picks up after that with like two years later. And now she's, she and her friend who also survived are just like living two years later after being in a horror movie where they're, you know, they all have like visible scars and are in therapy and just trying to like deal with it as uh, Dr. Loomis is writing a book about what happened to them and Mike Myers and shit um, and doing like a tour circuit. Uh, there's a bit in this movie where he goes on what, what talk show does he go on to destiny? He goes on a fake talk show hosted oh. by Chris Hardwick. Right. But Weird Al Yankovic is like the other guest star on the talk show and he's playing himself. It's really fucking weird. <laughs> in 2009. In 2007. 2007. 2007 yes. era Weird Al Yankovic. Yes. Okay. I mean, it's meant to be like Loomis is like, he's, he thinks he's written like in cold blood, but everyone kind of rolls his eyes and thinks he's like an ambulance chaser. So he's on this fucking fake talk show with Weird Al in 2007. That's fucking funny. <laughs> um... It's really good. It's like a weird movie and it, it veers really far from the ideas of original Halloween. Like you, you just see Mike Myers without a mask in this movie, like a bunch of times. He's just, a, he's just a guy. Um, and I understand why I might've been like, Oh, you can't do this in 2007, but I was stupid back then. <laughs> oh no, sorry. This is 2009. You're right. The original is 2007. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's good. It's nice. Uh, it's like, it's weird in that I think I think I would have liked a third one of these. I think I think it like open is open to the idea of a third one, but they never did that. Apparently, they were going to make a third one, um, but that never happened. The Z zombie didn't want to do it, and then they canceled it in that order, which is not the order that that should go in. <laughs> no, um, because a third Rob Zombie Halloween movie without Rob Zombie directing, I don't I, get out of here. What are you doing? Well, yeah. they, they did. Not interested. But um, it was good. We need to watch. We're probably over Halloween going to watch the um, the other Halloween reboot sequel to the original Halloween, the the modern one that's getting a sequel soon. I really liked it. That I'm I'm hesitant. Alert. But I just like what they did with Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm just saying. I watched Halloween H two O. That movie's fucking terrible. So no, that movie's bad. But this movie's good. I do think it's really funny that Jamie Lee Curtis has been in like four distinct timeline Halloween sequels now. Um, <laughs> it's just three. It's just three. It's just three? Oh, I guess it's three, yes. It's... Oh, it's only three. Only three sequels to one movie where the other movies well, don't no, count. So she's in Halloween, and then I don't think she shows up at all. Is she in Halloween 2? She is in Halloween 2. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, she's in the, she's okay. in the actual Halloween 2. She, she didn't show up again until Halloween H2O, um, which ignores all the movies that came before it. 
And then she showed up again in this new Halloween, which ignores everything after Halloween one and two again. It's like Wait, a different. It ignores H two O. Yeah. Does the new one ignore Halloween two? Is my question. I thought I thought it was I only. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen okay. it. Is I don't know. Um, because um, think it might. Because I think that's yes. Nods at things that happen in Halloween too, but it's it's a little different. Like she's not the same character. Because that's my thing. Is like, like she's been in they, three they, sequels they, to they Halloween take one. Out the sister thing, right? Yeah, uh, I don't want to give that away. <laughs> well, you you can watch that. I didn't mean to like ruin anything. Okay. Oh no, it's okay. Um, but I do think that part is very funny. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, and then I watched, uh, Apparition, which is a 2012, uh, Filipino nun movie that was on Criterion. I just picked it out of a hat. Um, but it's set in the seventies and it's about, um, a, like a group of nuns, uh, like they have a new nun who joins, um, who is one of the like externs and people go out into the world or whatever. Um, and she, this is like right, uh, before, uh, Marcos declared martial law and everything popped off. And she's got family that are part of like the, the resistance movement, um, and asking why, you know, what, what's going on with everyone missing, um, because of this government. And she gets involved with like, out like community like meetings about like where are these people going but also her and the other uh ex extern are like you know nuns in a dangerous place uh and there's like a bit where they're attacked and like it shakes up everyone in the convent as they handle try to deal with this uh it's good it's just like a good pot boiler about uh people in an impossible situation uh trying to do their best um i enjoyed it quite a bit it's it was leaving criterion and uh it's gone now so I don't know how you get a hold of this because um, just finding like the movie online seemed like a chore, but um, it was good. Yeah. I think that's everything I watched. So we should get into our movie this time because we are a little short on time. Uh, we watched this week, Waiting to Exhale, the Forrest Whitaker directed film screenplay by Terry McMillian and Ronald Bass based on the book Waiting to Exhale by Terry McMillian. Uh, this came out in 1995. Jackson. What happens in Wayne Duck Sale? Nothing! <laughs> Absolutely nothing happens in this movie. Uh, <laughs> it is about uh, four women, uh, Savannah, Robin, Bernadine, and Gloria, uh, who all have different troubles uh, in relationships with men. Um, uh, let me remember what the actual specific troubles are. Uh, Bernadine gets uh, dumped uh, after 11 years of marriage, and he leaves her for a white woman. And she is not happy about this. And so she's like dealing with the court process. Uh, and then she's also rich, but her husband's like, everything's in his name. Cause yes. she put away her business to like help him with his or whatever. And so she's like finding a court case to like get some of that back. And uh, that's her situation. Uh, Savannah, who's a television producer, who's not as rich, but you know, she's a television producer. So she's rich to me. Um, and is uh, trying to, uh find uh a relationship as well um there's robin who is caught between two very bad relationships and like multiple cartoonishly terrible men that she keeps going with and trying to figure out what to do and there's gloria who uh lives in a suburb and um is raising uh her teenage son uh and uh <laughs> Uh, is like waiting on 
her husband to care about uh, her again but her husband reveals the start of this movie that he's gay now and has to find something else to do uh classic stock plots they all try to figure out what to do none of it goes that well but then they all realize that they can care about themselves and find meaning in their own situation uh and you know they all kind of resolve in somewhat of a positive way uh and then the movie ends and they're just hanging out it, it is mostly just soap over hammer hangout times. It is not a very plot heavy, heavy movie. No. Yeah, fair enough. Destiny, you picked this movie. Why'd you pick it? I picked it because I've always wanted to see it. It's considered a classic, a black classic. Um, I was sort of. I don't know what I, I I don't know what I thought the movie was about, but I, I you know maybe I I think I just thought it was like one of those '90s girl power power friendship movies, and I guess it kind of is. Um, it it definitely didn't leave me like empowered just because it's so underwritten. Um. But it was still entertaining. I did I did like it. What'd y'all think? Uh I thought this movie was ridiculous. <laughs> I had a great I had a great time, but this is a ludicrous movie. Uh I feel like because it's so broad and it has so many very like stock uh soap opera type tropes in this uh film and bounces between them so quickly uh half the time I was like, this is this is bad this doesn't even feel like a real movie this is incredible uh it was just it was just very <laughs> funny i was like seeing the exercises of genre more than it was about the specifics of like i'm really invested in these situations you know like it cut to that mm-hmm. one scene um where her her kid is goes from uh, getting a blowjob to running around the lawn yelling my daddy's a queer in less than 30 seconds that that is one, one scene <laughs> they also repeat the gag of a guy just like fucking badly there are multiple scenes of like the worst sex ever but like to a cartoonish comedy degree of and then yeah. there's actual sex in the movie it's very like TV movie like you don't really see anything. You don't really get a sense of the passion. It's very strange. The, this is the most 90s movie that I've ever seen. Like, it's the most 90s object <laughs> in history. Uh, there are slow jams playing at least 80% of the time. Uh, and, the, like, the first cut after the credits is a, like, Windows Movie Maker style dissolve of while there's, like, an R&B slow jam playing. I'm like, this is so 90s. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. I had a great time. What did M think? Where's M? I muted my mic. That's what happened. Do you doing the thing where you're talking to your mic and then realizing yes. no one can hit? Yes. And he said, "Where am I?" And I was like, "I was ta- I was in the middle of talking." Excuse me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I um I guess I'm in the position of like I don't. Like, you're not, like, saying it's bad, but I thought this movie was, like, mostly pretty good. I, It's interesting, because I think I think it's, like, not great at the thing. For, okay, so I haven't read the novel, obviously. I think I'm going to. Um, 
the it feels like so the novel like by all accounts it was like it was a big bestseller or whatever but it's like about exploring an underrepresented space which at that point was like upwardly mobile like middle class black women right um, mm-hmm. everyone owns a business or is like has money um is in like an executive level job or whatever like they're they're, they're people who wear suits and and make money um and and don't need no man, but that doesn't help them from wanting one, right? Like, because that's what the book's about. Like, it doesn't solve that. But then the problems are different than, like, you know, if you're operating in that world where, like, people are using you for your job or, the, you know, they want to hit you up for money so they can buy drugs or whatever happens in this movie, all these ridiculous things. Um, but the movie itself, by being a movie, has to play it broader where it ends up, like, sanding a lot of the specifics down. Like, we we don't ever hear about, um, is it Robin who works at TV, in the TV stuff? It's the yeah, uh, No, it's uh, Bert, uh, Savannah. Sorry, Savannah works at t- television. We don't hear anything about what it's like to work at a television studio because the movie's not about any of that. It's about how she, like, knows these four guys and one of the, like, she's, you know, had flings with all of them and one day maybe one of them will come back into her life and it'll be worthwhile. Um, because, like, the job stuff is, like, would be too specific and not in the tone of this movie, which is generally, like, you know, focused entirely on, like, romantic interactions and, like, family units. Um, like, you know, Gloria's stuff is not really romantic necessarily until the very end, but it's all about, like, her relationship with her shitty kid who's just a 17-year-old. Like, he's not, like, a monster or anything. He's just, like, a 17-year-old who's about to move out and is excited to, and she doesn't want to let him go because it's the only thing she's got that isn't her job, um, that sort of thing. Um and so, like, by being broader for, like, a more, like, a general audience, um, and, you know, this movie, like, did well, so I guess, like, you know, did its job, it just ends up feeling, like, the, the thing I take away from this is, like, I think these sorts of movies are, like, pleasant on their own, like, you know, every, I, these friends are, I think the part where they're friends mostly works, and the scenes where all four of them are together, like, some of the best scenes in the movie, I think, generally, overall. Yeah, um, I agree. And, um, but it ends up feeling, like, it ends up feeling like, you know, when someone, when someone's like, you go over to someone's house and like, ah, sorry, it's so messy. And you're like, you cleaned. I know you cleaned and you're still apologizing that it's messy. Cause like, no, you don't live like this. No one lives like this. And you're like, it's cleaner than my house. I don't, I don't care either way. Um, but like they're putting on airs about it. Like this movie feels like it's that, but like for the storytelling of what I assume the novel is like, yes, like it's just a little <laughs> too tidy and a little too like, like nice. Um, and like, I don't think, I don't think that like necessarily hurts the movie. Like, it's a movie where it's like very pleasant to watch. I had a mostly good time watching it, but like, there's a ridiculous scene where, um, it's like segueing Cause it's like mostly like montage of scenes. Like there's no, like, there's not a ton of connective tissue. It kind of just bounces around and around and not like skits, but you see how this is a book. Yeah. <laughs> no one well, read a movie this way. Cause then they'll cut to another scene. They'll be like, Hey, you've been coming around for three months. I'm like, no, you haven't. What are you fucking talking about? Like there's a movie. Yeah, yeah, time works weird. So there's a bit where it's Gloria's birthday and the way they introduce that is her son framed by the like setting sun is playing a happy birthday on a saxophone. It's just like in silhouette. It's the fucking most mind blowing shit in the entire world. So like, you see how I reacted to this movie like I did. <laughs> you say, oh, well, I feel like you're being unfair to this movie, but look at it. It's inc- what's happening. There's just like this air of artificiality. There's a bit. Oh my God. And this is a bit where also like, you know, it's not. It's not ninety five anymore. The book was written in ninety two. We're we're like you know, we're like like you know poor working class people. Um, there's a bit where uh, Savannah and Bernadine are like 
Savannah's visiting Bernadine. It's like what you know, and Bernadine's talking about like like he owns every like he owns everything's in his name, and I don't have enough to pay the mortgage on this house. Like, what am I gonna do? I've never I haven't worked in like t- you know fifteen years. But they're like sitting poolside because they have this enormous pool, this fucking mansion, and they're in the middle of the desert because the entire movie takes place in like the the, the desert. Um, <laughs> they're in Arizona. In Arizona, and it's like this beautiful like very fake like sunset where it's like purples and reds and cactus in the background and this pool right in front of them in the mid ground. And they're like sit lit, like very unnaturally. And it just feels like it's like a fucking like commercial for something. Um, and it just is like a weird energy, but I don't think it like, I don't think it like detracts from the experience. It just makes it a little, like, I really want to see what the the book is about. Like, this is why I'm like, I want to read the book. So I want to, I bet the book's not like this. <laughs> there are definitely bits in the book, in, in the movie, I haven't, I haven't read the book, but in the movie that feel like, one of the scenes for me is right at the end, um, there's a scene with Savannah and her mom and she's on the phone and it's the reveal that like, the reason that Savannah's mommy keeps calling her and giving her terrible advice, like, no, you should you should try to go after this married man. It's because, like, she's alone, and her kid's left, and, you know, uh, now her kid might be alone. She doesn't want her to turn to him. Like, classic, um, you know, classic sad people, family drama, book stuff. Uh, but because the movie plays it so broad, it like and, like, most scenes in this movie are... The writing in this movie is really weird, and the people like will come out. They'll say, "I feel this," and "I feel sad," and the other person will say, "I feel this because of this." And there's um, not much space for like rough edges. Everyone just kind of like says their their piece and then moves on. Uh, and it was a moment where I was like, "This is this whole plot doesn't fit with the tone." Like the the comes to the conclusion at the end of like, "Oh, we shouldn't chase on, uh, you know, shouldn't wait on shitty men," and we all we'll go apart at the end. But like. You know, I assume the book will be doing far more with the fact that, like, you know, Bernadine is heartbroken because her marriage is broken up, standing next to Savannah, who's trying to break up multiple marriages at the same time. This movie doesn't dwell on that in the way that I assume the book would, right? I don't even know if the book yeah. would, but... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, like, it's like core to the morality of the film, is that one, like, the, the parallel between the two sides of that thing, right? It's interesting, because, like, I think this is more of a 90s, like, narrative than it is, like, necessarily about, like, class or blackness. But, like, this yeah. is a story about, like, everyone gets inertia married when they're, like, 18. And now they're 30, and everyone's like, the, the marriage thing sucks. It fucking sucks. It's it, No one's happy. Everyone's getting divorced, or waiting to get divorced, or would get divorced, but there's, like, a kid in the way, or, like, a business arrangement in the way, and so they're just uh, stepping out instead. Like, it's it's presumed normal. Maybe that is a class thing, in a big way. I mean, it is a huge... This is a very 90s movie in, in yeah. an end of history sense. Uh, yeah. there There's a lot of that. Um but like, so there's a really good Ebert review of this movie where I think he he articulates something very well uh, that I I thought watching it, which is that like the fakeness of the class stuff is uh, I probably not in the book, but at least in the movie version in this film and this entire genre of films that has just completely gone away uh, is the 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 fakeness and the nothingness of the problems is in its way part of the like fantasy of the movie. Uh, as you watch, like, the rich people have their, like, trivial relationship problems, but they feel big. Uh, that is, like, core to, like, soap operas, right? <laughs> that is, like, part of the yeah. appeal. Um, and, and, like, understands that as a, like, generic form and not necessarily a fundamental flaw of the work, which was apparently a lot of, like, discussion in the 90s about the movie at the time. Yeah. 
It's weird because like Ebert review mentions like I don't think this movie's man hating, and it's very funny to me watching this movie because I understand how that could be in the conversation. But if anything, watching this movie, I'm like, I bet the book's way more about how shitty men are, and this movie has like removed that one step where you have a you have a you have a you know you have a guy directing and you have a, a guy co-writing the screenplay who come in and they're writing. Um, and they're like one step removed, like the, a certain type of guy is shitty, but another certain type of guy is like the pinnacle of good things. Like there's a bit where after, after Bernadine's like disastrous first, uh, divorce proceedings or whatever, she's in the bar at the hotel or whatever, and she's just having a drink, smoking <laughs> a cigarette, um, looking incredibly glamorous. Her cigarette case and her lighter are like gold plated and match each other. I'm like, this is the most elegant woman in the entire world. And a guy walks in and he's he is he sits down and he it looks like he's making a pass, but it turns out he's like a nice guy who is still making a pass, but in a different way than the rest of the guys make passes. And he is a is civil rights attorney played in an uncredited cameo by Wesley Snipes. <laughs> He might as well. He might as well be like running six orphanages for sick kids. <laughs> the way he's presented this film. I think there was at some point, like when his hand shows up, I say something yeah. like, "What big black actor?" Can yes, because yes, they don't show who it is for a while. It turns out it's Wesley Snipes being very charismatic, and he has a conversation with her where he's like flirting and like actually commenting or and actually interested in what she has to say, unlike every other guy in her life. Um, and his whole thing is that he's got a white wife who's dying of breast cancer and he's like connecting to her and like talking her through like what it is to go through loss because he's been dealing with this for years but also like they're attracted to each other but they don't want to do it he's like i don't know what i want to do maybe we should do something like she goes up to her hotel room but then they end up not having sex they end up just like laying in bed together cuddling or whatever um and he sends her a very nice letter uh, but it's like presents this certain type of like emotional infidelity is different and like more noble than what everyone else is doing in a way that I'm like, this is like only, I feel like only a certain type of guy would write this character as like the good guy in this. He's using his dying of breast cancer wife to hit on a woman. It's like, here's the thing is I don't necessarily think it makes Wesley Snipes like bad in the way that like, this movie, uh, there's a there's a guy played by, played by Dennis Haysbert who's like the fucking worst guy in this movie. Yes. He's miserable. But I like I think the movie just like draws lines, and I think everyone's just a little more equal. And I think that applies like like Bernadine is willing to like invite this guy up even after he admits he has a wife, and she's like, "You want to come up or whatever," and like have this connection with him. Um, like, it's just, like, morally grayer than the movie wants to play it. Like, the movie plays it like, these are the bad guys. The the the, the guy who's, like, on drugs, who's, like, yelling up at uh, at uh, Robin. Like, oh, mm -hmm. we we're going to go to the, my family reunion. She's like, I'm not going to your family reunion. You're a fucking loser. Um, while the, what was the, the, the theme from what, what Love Story plays? Yeah, the theme from Love Story is playing behind her. Yeah, yeah it's, like, diegetic <laughs> music that's, like, in Congress the entire rest of the soundtrack. Um, <laughs> and, um... I just, I think, I think like the actual answer is like flatter than this movie wants it to be, like tries to pitch it as. Uh, I'd agree. Not in a bad way. It's just weird. It's just weird. Like it I just ended up, weird. I just ended up thinking about like what it is when like men adapt these stories written by women for women, um, about women. Um, 
It's like Forrest Whitaker thinks a certain type of guy who is still pulling the same shit is like categorically better than the other type of guy. And I'm like interested to see if that's in the book or not. Because it could be, it totally could be. People make these sorts of judgments every day. Um, everyone's got their own type of guy who's like, this one's fine, actually. These problems are the problems I relate to and understand and sympathize with. And this guy can go pound sand. Um, it's just really interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because, um, God, who's the guy who moves in next door? Uh, <laughs> oh, Gregory Hines? Yes. Greggy Hines comes in and he moves next door to uh, Gloria and he is just the most like, he's just the most like self-effacing, like humble guy. Like, <laughs> like how can you make someone nebbish, but still hot? Like that's what this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> and he just falls out of like a different movie. Like this is like a seventies guy who's suddenly here in like 1995 and he's like unpacking his thing, his, his, his moving truck himself. Um, and he like helps uh, Gloria around the house. Like he's like leveling the legs on a chair for her or some shit, like some ridiculous stuff. No people actually do. He does uh, this in every scene. I don't think there's a scene yes. where he is not doing he's, like, fixing a sink. Yeah, he's Ebert always doing something. Or even Ebert says that in his review. Like, why is he always fixing stuff? It's because it's literally some fucking like porn shit. He shows up and he's always like, I'm helping around the house. But the movie doesn't like play it in that. Like, it doesn't play it quite in that way, but it is like. The scene where her, him and Gloria like start talking for the first time is like ludicrously horny, but not in well, the yeah, way that bit, means normally. They're just like making hilarious bit, faces. There's a bit where she's like, but since it's 95, he's just wearing baggy jeans. There's like <laughs> nothing there, but the camera does like this pan like down his legs. Like, oh, she's, she likes what she sees when she looks at his ass. There's no ass there. There's just denim, just voluminous yeah, denim. Denim. <laughs> 90s was not the time for this look. Um, and it's weird because like the, this story is about how she's overbearing because her son's leaving and that's the only man in her life and she's it's like he's like a shitty kid in the way that all 17 year old boys are shitty he's like not ex exceptional like he says a bunch of homophobic shit but it's 95 that was the norm I'm not like holding that especially against him in the narrative in the framework of this narrative yes. um, and he, he's the he's the fucking dirtbag boyfriend from Clueless so I, I have a fondness for uh <laughs> For he's him. also uh, he's the guy from Scrubs. Kirk's yeah, I've never Scrubs. seen Scrubs, yeah. but yeah. he's in Clueless. Okay. He's great in Clueless. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and so like, but she's like very controlling, or whatever, and like tries to exert this like force as a parent. And the minute a guy shows up who's like the the traditional like masculine role of a guy who fixes things and always wears like a sweaty t-shirt she like is ready to just jettison that whole like what her life was for this other thing and i think it's like interesting i think it's like worth exploring the movie doesn't really do anything with it but like that stuff's there it's like there, there's thematic material that's like worth grappling with like i also would love to be a housewife for a guy who could fix everything absolutely sign me the fuck up right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is that regressive maybe but like who cares like it's your life <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It doesn't because it, it's not like she's like giving away her business. Like, right? She runs a salon. Uh, she is she is beloved by people who work at her and go to her salon. Well, it's, um, instead, it's more like she has these problems and she can't resolve them. Right? She wants her mm -hmm. son around. She wants her this 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 um uh you know he wants her husband around. Uh, but yes. uh, she can't have these things. Uh, there are too many things in the way. And the solution 
like instead of being like a one that is navigated through the space it just falls from the sky <laughs> like he comes in over halfway through the movie and just like shows up as a magic solution like ah oh, i will also get over myself when like my hot guy moves in next door and is very interested in me uh so <laughs> it, it feels less of like a moral like um you know ultimate moral more just like damn that was that worked out real nice <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, also, she's the person who's like keeping everything from her friends, right? They they think she's just like, you know, she owns her own business. She's the successful one. She's got a kid. She made it. Like she made it through all this. Like everyone else, it either doesn't have kids or has much younger kids. Uh, she's got a son who's about to move out that everyone else thinks is like wonderful, mostly, um, and uh, doesn't need it. Clearly, doesn't need a guy because she hasn't been dating anyone. Like, never mind. She's like, you know, throwing herself at her ex husband who is increasingly. Like, not just to the point where he's like, honey, I'm not interested at all. I am gay. <laughs> and runs away. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, uh, but there's a really good scene early on um, where she's with Bernadine, who's like, oh, no, what will I do about my millions of dollars? Uh, and Gloria's just, like, being supportive and nice, because that's her thing. And then, like, she said, like uh, Bernadine says, like, oh, I wish I could be like you and, you know, not need anyone. And Gloria's, like, yes. just, like, kind of basically looks to camera <laughs> in this moment. <laughs> Uh, they were they're at like a game or something. Yes, they're at a game. They're like a baseball yes. game or something. I don't remember the specifics, but they are they're yeah. at some kind of sporting event, watching something. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, it's weird because, like, I think partially because of like, you know. Uh, who they cast in these roles, I think there's like a big unevenness in the investment of the story, just because who's there, like. Mm-hmm. I like Whitney Houston's music, but I don't think she's like the best actress in the world. I think her stories kind of suck in this movie. I think they're mostly really boring. Yeah, I like the stuff with the mom, but it's yes. kind of like a second thought. Or it is yeah. a second thought. It's mostly about Dennis Haybert. Haybert playing the fucking worst man on earth as he comes in, <laughs> like as the guy who's always dragging her along, and is like he's perfect in every other than he's he's married and he's not leaving his wife, and he knows that, and he's gonna lie through his teeth about it, and it fucking mm-hmm. sucks. He's worse than Russell, and Russell's pretty bad. The guy uh, Robin's dating, yes, she's into. <laughs> yes, um, and um, but like, and then Robin's stuff is like, she's she goes between um, <laughs> Wendell Pierce, who's just in this movie is just a big sweaty nerd. That's who he is as a guy. He's just he just sucks. And the movie, like, is portrays him as, like, this loser who's, like, just lame in, like, very, like, cliched ways. Uh, and then the other guy she's with, what is it, Russell? Uh, he sucks in an entirely different way. Yeah, he's just, like, not good for her. It's very funny, like, seeing Wendell Pierce in this, because I think Wendell Pierce is, like... He's always the coolest motherfucker in any yes. movie he's in or in, in, in the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this, this, he might as well be like fucking pushing up his glasses and fixing his pocket protector. That's like the guy he is. <laughs> it's, that, that's, yeah, because they try. If this, if this movie was 10 years later, he'd have fucking anime posters in his bedroom. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. The Wendell Pierce with a fucking, you know, like One Piece figure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's it's because they, they're trying so hard in the scene to like convince you that Wendell Pierce is like slubby, ugly, uncool nerd guy, and I'm like, it's fucking Wendell Pierce. Um, it's it's yeah, it's wild. And there's even a bit in that that I'm like, I wonder how this plays in the book because there's a scene later on where it's like, um, he's her coworker and he's like treating her pretty shitty at work, uh, which is like 
the actual the if the actual point of critique in the narrative about how men are two-faced shits which is like a running thing in this movie is there not in the fact that he's like a fat nerd um but the thing about that scene is really interesting it's like yes. i'm curious how it plays because the movie doesn't isn't interested enough in what it is to be like a working woman to explore this stuff she's giving a presentation he points out something wrong with her presentation she immediately takes it extremely personally like he's not working with me or is like trying to undercut me but the movie doesn't spend enough time to explain whether that's true or not it never talks no. about it it's not interested no. in like exploring that at all so i'm left to go like is that what the, is that what the scene's about because it never comes up again she just hates this guy for the rest of the movie and um, he's yeah and he just shows up and then one more scene and they're like oh fuck is, it, is it about her being insecure as like a professional and like overreading people's reactions to her because it could it could be about that too i don't know they don't spend enough time on it yeah, you could take it in multiple directions yes uh, but yeah because that's the thing that struck me that like that work relationship is clearly the actual dynamic to be explored between those characters and the movie's just like not even slightly interested in it mm-hmm because there's there's four plot lines and all of these plot lines have multiple men in them. Yes. <laughs> Do we uh, want to move on to questions? Questions. Yeah, sure. Um, we do have a hard out. I'm just telling our guests we might be a little bit late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, let me pull up the emails. We have a bunch of questions. If you'd like to send questions, you can send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. They don't have to be about the movie we're covering. They can be about anything. Love it when people just send general questions. Gary writes in, uh, Gary's been on our Discord streaming old Reptoy Screenings movies and current ones, if you're interested in checking those out. Um, I don't remember when they happened. Gary's in, in uh, Europe, so it's weird times, but... Oh, uh, you know, if you don't want to download stuff yourself, you could totally join the small group of people who watch those. Uh, just watch Point Break. Good movie. Uh, I have a multi-part question. If you were part of a bank robbing crew, what would your cover be? And what would the theme be for your disguise? Mm. I don't have an answer, but I do have an embarrassing confession. Yeah. What? Uh, which is that when I was 17, I did write a heist movie and the disguises was everyone was wearing fucking Sonic character masks as a bit. That was my thing I found hilarious. <laughs> is what if someone wore a big the cat mask to a heist? I like it. It's like Heat, but not. But no, I still haven't seen Heat. <laughs> okay. It's like The Dark Knight, which is ripping off Heat, but not. I've seen everything that's real. I, at this point, me not seeing Heat is a bit. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I would do animals. Uh my cover would be uh traveling uh stand up comedian. Uh so very, a put... very incongruous group of people who don't stand out from a crowd at all. <laughs> I think I think I think the cover activity would be a bunch of vloggers. Just do a bunch of vlogging. Because you're like drawing attention to yourself in a way where people are just expecting you to act like fools and be weird. I mean that oh, that is the that's the thing, right? That is um that's the the highest new thing is you want someone that is noticed but then ignored like treated that's why everyone's always like a you know, working crew, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's always some commentary on service workers. Um uh, but vloggers is a good one. That's what like the bling ring should have been, but instead the bling ring sucked. <laughs> oh, God. What a disappointing film. I was really hyped yeah, for that movie. I had high expectations as well, and it did not meet any of them. Um, Hilver writes in, what are the longest and shortest films you've seen in the cinema? And what are the longest and shortest lengths of films you'd be willing to watch? I'd be willing to watch whatever, I guess. But uh, shortest I... movie. Longest movie. Longest movie for me, 
I saw World on a Wire, which is um That was over a, two nights, wasn't it? It was uh no, it was one night. Oh, okay. And it, it's a three hour and I wanna say forty minute movie. Uh it's actually a TV movie in two parts, but they just showed mm-hmm. all of it in one presentation by Rainer Werner Fossbinder. And it's like a sci-fi thing about philosophy, and I barely remember it. But that was the long. I think that's the longest thing I've ever seen in a theater. Yeah, I don't think I've seen anything over four hours. I've seen plenty of three-hour movies because fucking every movie's three hours at this point. Um, right. I don't think I've gone over four. I saw the extended editions of the first two Lord of the Rings, so I think those are in the three-hour range. Shortest thing is I, I've I've seen multiple like trailer compilations shown at theaters. If that counts, I think those are great. Love them. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I've been to those. Mm-hmm. I assume one of like one of my longest one has to just be probably one of those Lord of the Rings movies, or I I, I don't know, just some some long blockbuster in the three right? hour range. Yeah, something in the three hour range. And they're short. I don't know. Like I, I've seen seventy minute movies in the in the cinema, but I don't. Know, I couldn't tell you which one was the actual shortest. I haven't. Yeah, seen I saw it. a couple like short like. Um... Like Sherlock Jr. I saw in a theater. That's short, right? That's like 30 minutes. I've seen short film compilations too, but I don't know if yeah. that counts. Well, yeah, because yeah. I'm like, I've I've been to like an all night showing of like a bunch of movies, but that doesn't count, I assume. Yeah. yeah. So all three Die Hard movies in one night in the in the cinema. Yeah. Die Hard Two fucking sucked. The, en- the energy in the crowd during Die Hard Two was bad. No one liked that movie. Uh, fair enough. We got an email with some Western recommendations. I'm just going to read them off since they're uh, stretched for time. The Searchers, which uh, Destiny talked about, but I have not seen. Um, I need to. What's the time in the West, which is incredible. Um, that's a Leone movie. It's really good. Love it. Um, High Noon, which I've seen. It's great. Um, uh, Outlaw Josie Wales, which I have not seen. Um, and then uh, <laughs> mentions, uh, maybe for blockbusters or just to react to that, uh, you and me, Jax, should watch Tombstone, which apparently is like Unforgiven, but terrible. So <laughs> I have no idea, but um, let's see. Uh, Rick writes in, um, what is your favorite biopic? Since we mentioned that we didn't like biopics last episode. Ooh, my I'm the nerd who likes them. And Julian Snabel is really good at directing them. And he did a movie about the Cuban writer Ronaldo Arnas called Before Night Falls that is just beautiful. Just, I love it so much. Um, um, he also directed movies about Basquiat and Vincent Van Gogh. I haven't seen the Vincent Van Gogh movie, but I think Willem Dafoe is in it, and I'm really interested. Mm-hmm. Mine are probably Malcolm X, the Spike Lee movie, and um, uh, Mishima, Life in Four Chapters. It's really, I mean, that's not, I don't know if that's really a biopic, but. Uh, how good. far no. back, how far back do you have to go for it to be counted as biopic? Or how far back, like, is Amadeus a biopic at that point? Like, mm, I don't think so. I mean, Rick does say a biopic or movie about a real person. So, you know what? I'm going to count Amadeus. And then yeah, it's fucking I Amadeus. Slant answer, but it is about a real man who existed, two real men who existed. Yeah, I was gonna be like, does, does, does Amadeus count? Does the Elephant Man count? I know you're anti the Elephant Man. Uh, I mean, I I think the Elephant Man's fine. I just we watched that other movie, which is way better, like right around the same time. Uh, that's true. Uh, Casper Hauer. Oh right, right. They're both they're both classics to me. I love um, the Elephant Man. 
Uh, we have an email. Uh, are there any film adaptations of books that you enjoy despite also thinking that they're kind of bad? A lot of them, honestly. <laughs> Shining is a very good adaptation, but I love that movie. That's fair. Um, um, I recently, I'm going to talk about this on the next, not the next VoIP Life, the VoIP Life after that. I recently read Roadside Picnic. Stalker's an incredible movie. Fucking dog shit adaptation of the book Roadside Picnic. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it has almost nothing to do with the book Roadside Picnic, but is really is like one of the best movies ever made. You were reading it and you were like, I love Stalker, but I am borderline offended by what uh, Tarkovsky thinks is important about the book Roadside Picnic. Yes. <laughs> 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 it was very funny. Yeah. That one just came to mind, but like, I used to be a person who would always read the book before I watched the movie, um, which is... Um, Oh, you know what? You know what? One, we'll we'll get there eventually. Uh, Return of the King, specifically the Lord of the Rings, the third Lord of the Rings movie, I think is a bad adaptation of the book Return of the King. It makes I think sense. It's a pretty good movie because I I, I, yeah. I think it throws away the most interesting stuff in the book uh, for action scenes and comedy. Having only seen the movie, I believe that it's my least favorite of the movies. There's an action scene that goes on for an hour. There's, I love the bit where the Rohirrim show up, but <laughs> that fight goes on for so long. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, what's your go-to snack and drink order at the theater? Uh, nothing. Email. Nothing these days. Uh, used to be like a large yes. popcorn and a Coke, but then uh, I've stopped being 22 and I could no longer have a large popcorn and a Coke all the time. <laughs> Mine, uh, uh, when we when we go to the theater, it'd be like a Diet Coke. And then I, I like like a, you know, the Alamo, which has like actual ordering at your seat. So I'd get like a pizza or like a, a soft pretzel. I like those. They. I like nachos. Definitely likes nachos. They opened a cinema near me that is one of those like fancy. Uh, you order to your seats like real cinema. Like there's, there's, a, there's a nice cinema in town now. It opened in uh, April 2020, so um, <laughs> I've not been. Yeah. <laughs> um, what one food or drink should theaters offer that they typically don't? Smoothies. Oh, that's a good answer. I just always I'm always looking for fruit when I'm chilling, so you know. If I get like a nice fruit tray instead of like a hummus plate, I'd be happy. <laughs> just gonna annoy everyone by having some some like apples, like. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Ron then writes in with a bunch of questions. Who's your favorite character in this movie? I like Bernie. Uh, I also like Bernie. I mean, Angela Bassett, I think, is the best actor in this entire cast. Also, it doesn't hurt. Yes. Yeah. She does set fire to a car. It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite looking shot or scene in this movie? I think for me, it's the uh, that sunset where they're uh, where he's playing the saxophone. Happy birthday! It's great. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's up there. <laughs> it's yeah, it's so good. I love that. Shot. It has the most like spikely affectation in this film to me. Oh yes. <laughs> um, what's the funniest part of this movie? There's a scene. Where I don't know where Gloria and um, oh, who's she talking to? Is it Gloria and Savannah go to like some fair or like a park or something? And there's clearly in the background a lost child looking for their mother, <laughs> and it like almost overlaps the dialogue. You can hear the kid going, I lost my mom. Have you seen my mom? Have you seen my mom? And then it just cuts to the next scene. Wait, they're at a state fair. That's They're not at a sporting event. They're at a state fair. They're like right. watching a rodeo or some shit. Yeah. No, yeah, they're watching. 
ostrich races? Am I making that up? That's the thing no, that happens in this movie, right? There were ostrich races, yes. <laughs> yes, you did not dream that. It happened. <laughs> but yeah, that was really weird and jarring, and I thought maybe it was going to go into a plot about a missing child or something. <laughs> I think I think the funniest part of this movie to me is the scene where uh, Bernie's selling all of her husband's shit for a dollar. And there's oh, a bit where the, the kids the kids wheel something out on a wagon and like drop it and it, we don't even see what it is it's it's expensive it falls over it shatters and she turns around they're clearly expecting to get yelled at and she just starts laughing in their face it's fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah, all the petty Bernie getting rid of her husband shit stuff is like my favorite stuff in this movie. Mm-hmm. That's I mean the um you know casting Angela Bassett for that role is definitely smart because that's the stuff where like there's a lot of kind of flat. Uh, acting in this movie but it's mostly fine because uh, the characters are stock enough that it just works uh, this stuff would fall over this would be the dumbest stuff in the world if it was like someone worse right they cast the yeah. real actor in the most important role for that uh, <laughs> uh, and then how do you feel about the way Robin's arcs wrapped up in this movie uh, it kind of just like she, she doesn't end up with anyone specific, does she? Am no, I... she just, she's like, I'm going to raise this kid by myself, and then slams the door in that guy's face. Good for her. Yeah, but it, it like never really touches on it past that. Nope. <laughs> I guess I'll say that I kind of like the most, like, the the movie, the, the arcs in this movie do end. But they end very yeah. softly, and then it mostly just cuts to them on the beach. Yeah, because uh, it, it, the movie takes place between New Year's Eves. Like, yes. the, the the opening scene and the ending scene are all New Year's Eve. And first New Year's Eve, they're, like, going to a party they don't want to go to or whatever. They're all in the car together. And the second one, they decide to blow up the party and just, like, hang out on the beach together uh, in front of a fire. And it's great. It's good. Yeah, and I feel like the ending far more has a sense of just, like, th- there is a, um understanding of how small stakes the conflicts are at the end of this movie in the... uh. They find their resolution or they don't, but, you know, they're, they're all going to be there complaining about men together next year, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and I like that as a way that it all uh, wraps up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said in the discussion, my main thing was that, like, this used to be movies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There used to be, you used to go to the cinema and there were five different, for like different audiences, uh, you know, um, romantic dramas that were date movies that were kind of about nothing. uh, And this was like a half of cinema before superheroes. Or just like other, like other types of drama, like family dramas or courtroom dramas. Like, and I'm not talking like murder films, right? Like, like, um, yeah, like just movies about people talking, like having a problem and like talking through some feelings and coming out the other side. Just stories. All this has been destroyed in terms of like cinema. And like a lot of it went to TV. Like this kind yes. of storytelling lives on TV in a way that is like, and it was, it was so popular existed before, but this specific stuff definitely, like it's changed slightly, right? Uh, yeah. Because it was yeah. 95. Uh, but now all of these become the C plot of like a fucking thing about a psychic, right? Like, <laughs> yes. Or, or, it's ha- it's, or, or it's happening during like the, the, third american civil war so i'm like there's there's always like a high level premise that all this stuff gets folded up into right there's no high level premise here uh yeah refreshing yes Um, all right. If you want to send emails again, abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. Next time, we are watching Playtime, the Jacques Tati film from 1967. That's on Criterion, I know for a fact, but you know, you can find it anywhere else. Um, it'll be it'll be cool. I'm pretty sure it'll be cool. I love that movie. I've, I've seen it before, but 
my co-host if not uh plugs destiny at fridge buzz now and abnormalmapping.com slash badland girls for my other podcast you're recording tomorrow you're starting like a halloween thing right Yes, we're recording an episode every week in October, and I'm watching a horror movie every day in October. Uh, it's already overwhelming. <laughs> what are you watching today? Either The Omen or Amityville Horror. Okay. Jackson, plugs. Uh, you can find me at headfillsoff on Twitter.com. I uh, find the podcast me and MD at abnormalmapping.com. We're about to record one right now. <laughs> about? Go in the garden. You can watch, find that yeah. at your uncle's beach house. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter, am underscore being. You can uh, support our uh, work on Patreon at patreon.com slash normal mapping. Uh, for one dollar, you get the Great Gundam Project. Right now, we're watching Turn A Gundam, which is very good and wrapping up. And we're watching Planetes, which is, you know, uneven, but we're having a good time. Um, for five dollars, you get uh, blockbusters where me and Jackson go deep on a movie once a month. Last month, we did Zero Dark Thirty, and it was very good. I liked that episode a lot. That movie's not very good, but the episode's very good. Uh, tomorrow, it'll be the day before when this goes live or whatever, probably. But, like, we are co- recording, and it'll soon be out, our episode on Rain Man, which Jackson has not seen. Uh, that'll be an interesting discussion if nothing else we need we're like we need a movie that isn't about states or like war or the po- like all of the grubby communist stuff we talk about all the time we need a movie that's not about any of that so we're gonna watch rain man we're gonna watch a movie about the 80s conception of autistic savants i can't wait <laughs> oh my god um i remember liking this movie a lot it, i like all it it's too corny when i shit, saw it so. yeah it's corny but um, anyway, check that out if you'd like. Thank you so much. Uh, we need to jet for another podcast. But until then, movies! Now more than ever. Don't expect to like them. Mm-hmm.